بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على محمد. We are on Surah Al-Qaf, Surah number fifty, and on Ayah number seventeen. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم. إذ يتلقى المتلقيان عن اليمين وعن الشمال قعيد. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions from the beginning of the surah that uh, this is in the name of the the honorable, noble Quran, Al-Quran al-Majid, the majestic, the one that honors and the one that uh, reciprocates. Yeah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always reciprocating. Then there's discussion on the idea that um, people don't like human beings to warn them of anything. They can't understand the idea that another human being has more knowledge than they do, especially about affairs after death. So with that, uh, they said there's no such thing as life after death. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down a few ayat explaining why resurrection is much easier than the first creation. And then there's discussion of creation of man, which was the previous ayah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates man and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows man. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything there is to know about man. And there's also the idea that Allah knows all the phases of man's existence. And this is where this ayah begins. This is about death. That who knows more about death than Allah. There's a medical community struggling very, very hard to find out more and more things about death. And obviously, then none the wiser. If they just listen to Wahi, then they'll be wise. But they don't want to listen to Wahi because they want to find answers through their testing, through their, what do you call it, the stethoscopes or their microscopes or the sonar, whatever. So there's a bigger picture to death than the actual physical side of death. There's a grand picture and uh, we must appreciate the grand picture. That remember the time when the two receiving angels on the right and on the left are sitting, that you have angels who guard you, angels that protect you, angels who now document and record all your actions. And that one is on the right, one is on the left. As we know from other ayat in the Quran, and they are there with us present. The word qaid literally means sitting, but it can also mean just present, because when somebody's always sitting with you, he's always present with you, and so on. So this is to create a sense of awareness. Allah wants us to be aware that there are other beings with us, and those beings are not necessarily from this world. They're non-human, but they do exist. So now who gives you knowledge of that world? 
So you have knowledge of this world through your technology and through your, you know, spyware and whatever systems you have, you know, intelligence systems that you, you know everything about everybody. But you don't know that there are actually other beings with every human being. So there are at least two beings with us. So we're never alone. So the idea is that we can do something when we're alone. Allah says, no, you're never alone. And when you know other beings are there and someone else is watching, hopefully you'll shy away from sinning and making mistakes and from conspiracies and whatever else people do in secret. And so that's the idea behind the ayah, that people should be aware that uh, other beings are with us. Now, who gives you this? Allah, because he creates man. Okay, science, technology won't give you this. It's not possible. Okay. They don't speak of any, they don't utter any statement, except that there is someone there who is there as a guardian and someone who is present. Raqib is someone who oversees and is a supervisor, a guardian. Uh, Atid is somebody who is present and ready. And so, on. so we see here that everything is recorded. So there are hadith to this effect expounding on this, that there is one on the right and one on the left. And every utterance is documented and is recorded so that people on the Day of Judgment will then see those records and they'll see those documentations. They'll see their own live video right in front of them. Obviously, it doesn't take too much to record. As we know, you can record on a microchip, basically, as you all know. You can get the whole world of knowledge into something very small. So this is not just small, this is subtle. Uh, it's from the other world. So we, we see here that uh, the, the angel who is now recording the good deeds is the supervisor over the angel who is now recording the bad deeds. So one is a Raqib and the other is Atid. So the one on the right will always document every good deed, good intention and good idea and so on. The one on the left is subservient to the one on the right, and he will need permission from the one on the right to document and record a bad deed. Uh, so usually what happens is that time is given, and in that time, if the person makes toba and repents, the deed may not be written. That's also found in the Quran. In another ayah, Allah says, that Allah has the prerogative to keep whatever he wishes to keep and he has the prerogative to erase also and that is through this process at least at the micro level of uh, uh, documenting human action so everything is recorded everything is documented so the mind has a memory your brain has a memory and it will just be revived on the day of judgment and you will remember everything. One of the reasons you don't remember any, everything here is because life has to function and you're still taking the test and so on. 
But anyways, Allah is now introducing human beings to a realm and a reality where, you know, the human mind doesn't have access to it. Well, whether it's artificial intelligence or it is IT, you don't have access to that world. It's not possible. So this knowledge comes from Wahi, that comes from the Quran, because the Quran is Al-Majid, it is noble, and it instills nobility in man. So if man wants to be noble, and then he must listen to the Qur'an, he must understand that the Qur'an is here to help human beings reach their ultimate destination, which is meeting Allah in Jannah. And for that, you have to be exposed to certain realities. So Wahi exposes, or Wahi is revelation. It reveals. What is it revealing? That there's another system that you need to appreciate. Is just not the mundane physical system. There's another system behind it or another system inside it. And that is where Iman comes in. And with Iman, you'll be able to appreciate it, even though you may not be able to perceive it. You may not be able to sense it, to smell it, or to taste it, uh, or to see it. It is beyond the immediate capabilities of human perception. And that is where and the Anbiya, their knowledge begins where human knowledge finishes. Another reality and the reality of death is the most real of all human existence. And that is death is inevitable. Death will always come, no matter what you do. You can free yourselves and you can put yourself somewhere in a deep zone somewhere and then someone else can bring you back a thousand years later. That's fine. Eventually you're going to die. And when you die, there will be the pangs of death. Meaning you will feel the separation between your ruh and your body. That is bilhaq. That is this certainty, and everybody goes through it in some way, shape, or form. If you see the Prophet at the time of his death, Mubarak, he was in pain. Right? The separation is very normal, is very natural, but in that separation, a human being will feel that there is something leaving now. His reality is slightly different. We don't have time to get into that theology. But nevertheless, the fact is, the sakra, okay, the pain and the pang of death is real. That is certain. Uh, whether you live like Nuh alayhi salam, 950 years, or whether you live 50 years, it doesn't matter. It's going to be, is it going to come upon every human being? So Allah wants you to work and prepare for that moment when that moment comes and arrives so that you don't live in ghafla, in oblivion. You live your whole life oblivious of death and you don't assume death will ever come. And then when death comes, you, you are at odds. And all of a sudden now you see the other world and you go into this immense cultural shock. 
that I'm observing things that I usually don't observe. So that cultural shock, which shocks the body, that is part of the sakaratul mot. I'm seeing something and I'm not able to tolerate that something. When you die, you see angels in one way, shape or form. You're not supposed to see angels with your human eye or your human perception. If you do, you die. Right? Except for the prophets. Except for one Sahabi that knew that he was an angel. But anyway, point is that the, 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 here, since the perception uh, has now been expanded beyond normal human perception, the body cannot handle that expansion. Well, like the Prophet has said, obviously when he saw Jibreel first in Hira, a colossal amount of stress, anxiety. Then he saw him on the horizon, 600 wings, but only one wing he could see. And one wing expanded the whole horizon and the Prophet fainted. Meaning the human senses are not capable of seeing anything from the other world in this world. And if they do, they will either faint if you're a prophet or you'll die if you're a non-prophet. So that is how you get an idea of the sakaratul mot. Yeah? These are the pangs of death that you're transitioning into another real realm, another zone, another form uh, of uh, existence almost. And the way you do that is that you separate. Uh, and when you separate, there's pain there also. So this is all about perception. Uh, this is all about making sure you're in a state of dhikr and you're not in a state of ghafla and oblivion. If you live in oblivion and you do not think of death at all, and when death comes, uh, you've had your chips, you're done. You're scared, literally, to death. You're frightened. And you can't withstand that. Doesn't matter who you are, what you are. You will not be able to stand it. So Allah is saying, out of his majd and karam, his honor, his nobility, his sharaf, that I want you to prepare for that moment when you will not be able to handle that moment. And the way to do that is think about death. As the Prophet said, the cure for this is think about death every day. Sit down for five minutes and think how it will be when you die and how it will be in your grave. Not whether it's brain death or clinical death. That's a separate issue. You can get into that where it's needed. But here, when you understand revelation, revelation is, is exposes, it reveals the other world. So if you reveal the other world, you will not be able to withstand the images of the other world through this body. That's why you need to separate from this body and go into another realm called the Barzakh and the world of graves. Where that is a very painful process is like labor, delivering the baby again into the grave. It's a delivery, and that's very painful, as you know. This is what you were avoiding. You were avoiding and trying to evade the whole idea, the whole process of death. I don't want to die, but you're going to die, whether you like it or not. 
Right? Every soul will taste death. And this is what the Quran is saying. That this one uh, idea of uh, you know, expanding your perception is painful. But then there's another one, which is even greater than that. That the trumpet will be blown into. And that is even more expansive than this one. Because when the sur or the trumpet is blown, then you don't have any life period. The ruh, again, just collapses. It's total unconscious. You, you can't withstand the sound of the sur. It's a sonar thing. It's based on sound. So the sound of the sur will destroy everything in the universe as we know it. And that is how powerful that sound is. When when the soul is blown into, then you'll be forced into another realm of existence, which is a million times greater than the grave. And that's called the day of judgment. That is the day of promising. The promised day is going to be even more spectacular, even more painful to realize and to appreciate unless you prepared for that here in this world through dhikr and unless you have expanded your own uh, senses and sensibility by thinking of these ayat and making these ayat part of your life and not ignoring the phenomenon of these ayat. So this is how Allah through his majd, al-Qur'an al-Majid, his nobility, his helping human beings understand their phases of existence and what they need to do in order to accommodate those phases of existence. But it starts with the idea of perception. Uh, and with every nafs and every soul, there's going to be one who is going to drive the human being to his place and to his position uh, on the day of judgment in whatever the place of Arafat. So everybody will be driven that way. An angel will be behind everybody and the angel will drive you to your station. This is where you're going to stand in front of Allah. And God forbid this hisab. Allah save us from hisab. This is where Allah will talk to you and you, this is where you will be questioned or interrogated. This is where you stand. So an uh, angel there will be there. So now another reality, beings. Huh? Are there other beings in the planet, on this planet, and in the solar system and whatever? So we know there are beings there. They're just not human. So here we have the system of angels who guard us and record our uh, deeds. And they're, they're angels that expo- are exposed at the time of death. And in the grave, and now the angels on the day of judgment who manage all the affairs of the day of judgment. Yeah. Another one that will testify. He will then open the books and he will be documenting and he will be showing people this is what you did. And they will not be able to go against that because it's documented. He'll be caught red handed or mashallah. If you do good deeds, you'll be given a pleasant surprise that these are your good deeds. Uh, the one who testifies so he will testify this is what's recorded so that the process of day of judgment based on divine justice is upheld 
لقد كنت في غفلة من هذا فكشفنا عنك غطاءك فبصرك اليوم حديد this is how we understand this is all about perception the eye what is the eye how does the eye see what's in a human being's perception human being's perception obviously in this world is very very limited uh, three dimensional human being's perception in the grave is now expanded a human being's perception on their judgment is even more expanded but here Allah says that you are in oblivion of this reality fakashafna kayfa fakashafna anka qita'aka so we will now open reveal and pull up the curtain that was a veil for you uh, from your eyes and then today your sight is very sharp your your sight is iron hadid means iron it means your your senses are sharp now so on the plains of arafat on the day of judgment all our senses will come back to us but uh, you know maybe a million times expanded you know? that is because of the day and because of the place the time and space will allow you to do that so we will be able to see much more than what we see here we'll be able to smell much more than what we smell here we'll be able to hear much more than what we hear etc so because the space on the day of judgment is almost uh, you know infinite and because of that infinite space and that there's a very little amount of time there is almost into infinity okay our perception that grows so Allah gives us this perception. So the perception in the dunya is limited to the physical world because that's all we need in order to exist. In the grave is expanded much more. And then on the day of judgment is expanded even more. So we will now be reading our books, our book of deeds, and we will be communicating with the people. And the people will come and God forbid, they will say that this was a good person or this is a bad person. And so our memory will be expanded and it will be reignited in such a way that we will just be you know in awe of the spectacle of the day of judgment and that is how we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make this so that all the covers and the parada is lifted from our eyes and our eyes will be very sharp and we'll be able to see what we cannot see in the dunya, obviously, we'll see what the angels will also see. Other things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow us to see, we'll be able to see Jannah, and we'll be able to see Jahannam, and that, that in itself is a, a grand spectacle for which you need the physical and spiritual capabilities to actually witness that. How can you witness such an enormous creation as Jannah, and such a powerful and over the vicious creation like Jahannam, where Jahannam has its own life. It speaks for itself, as uh, mentioned Surah Tabarak. So we see that when human beings work on their perception by admitting there's another side to our perception, then you're a believer. But if you limit your perception and all you do is go after this perception, in the physical world, and you go into IT, you go into AI, uh, you go into your instruments and your telescopes and your microscopes, and 
He is going to these gadgets that only do what they do in this world. And you forget this akhirah, then your perception is severely limited. Then you're not a Muslim. You're just a person of the year, a secular person. So if Muslims say that we must develop all the secular abilities and facilities and technology, and then that's how we'll be able to regain control of the world. They're not even dreaming. It's a nightmare. They're living in a nightmare. Because that is totally the wrong way to go about it. That you're destroying yourselves. Yeah, you can do that. It's a matter of power and you want authority. But you can't do that for your salvation. That's not how salvation works. So salvation will trump progress. So if there is now sin, okay, which deters you from your salvation, then you don't go that way. You don't go down that road. No matter how great that invention or creation is, how great that machine is, if there's sin in there, it is haram. It's going to affect your akhirah. And if it affects your akhirah, then you'll be deprived of this now sense on the day of judgment. You won't see anything. You'll be in darkness. And so, so there'll be people, God forbid, on the day of judgment, that they'll be in total darkness. They won't be able to see. So this is how now the, the, the Muslim worldview is that when we did what we did in our glorious days, in our golden age, mashallah, we did not do anything that constituted either a harm or a sin. We didn't do that. And then when we invented, we didn't invent simply because we wanted to earn lots and lots of money, to hoard money and to have wealth. That was never the reason. It was just that we want to be good people and we want to benefit human beings. That was the motto. The best of people are those who benefit people. So their motto was not capitalistic you know, the secular. Now what we do here is that, no, alhamdulillah, we're here, we have good life, Allah give us more with barakah and so on. But if your leadership is telling you that you must now build more space, space, space rockets and spaceships that are better than these space rockets and spaceships. How is that going to help you, Akhirah? How is that going to help your salvation? How is that going to lead to the Jannah? There is not. Now, you can work in those industries. We have many Muslims working in NASA and it's halal. But if, if, if your agenda does not include all the realms of your existence, then your perception will be severely limited at the time of death, in the grave, on the day of judgment, and God forbid. If someone dies without Iman, then he's not in Jannah. He's in Jannah where there is no perception of anything. He's totally deprived. He'll get hot water to drink. He'll have thorns to eat. None of his fantasies and desires will be met. So he's in a place of total non-existence. How is that going to help you as a Muslim, individually and as an Ummah? If you want to do, as I say, if you want to do it as an Ummah for the sake of power and Governance and authority, that's, that's a totally different ballgame than saying that we need to lead these industries because we want to be known as Muslims doing this work. That's a very different niyyah. 
You can. That's perfectly halal. And you can have Muslim scientists doing this and Muslim engineers doing this and uh, Muslims doing this and that in education, whatever. And you can even be the lead person in the team. But is that a theory for leadership for the Muslim Ummah? So in the Muslim Ummah, the leader will always say that we will stay away from harm and we will stay doing harm and we will stay away from committing sin. That's our, that's our model. Uh, and then the overall effect has to be that with these ideas, our, our perception uh, of the truth has to be enhanced. It cannot be now shortened that the more truth and knowledge you have, the better it is that you will think. But then the knowledge has to be truthful, not untruthful. And your ethics have to be real, not unreal. And so, so here we say, that uh, your sight today is now very sharp, meaning Allah, you are now in a zone. It's not because of you, but because the zone, the realm you're in, requires that you have this amount of perception. That's why your sight is going to be very, very sharp. So Muslims must uh, take advantage of revelation. Um, so, uh, as I said, your, your, your tools in science won't show you what happens to you when you die. Sakaratul Maut. How do you manage that as a medical you know, profession? You're supposed to manage people dying, which is wonderful. I do that, Alhamdulillah. That's being compassionate. And you do whatever you do to make the patient more comfortable. That is absolutely wonderful. It's khair. This barakah there, and you're helping people, uh, as I said. But at the same time, how do you manage the sakaratul maut and the pangs of death? Those are not tied to the physical entity of the human being. Those are tied to the spiritual. Well, it, it depends on your niyyah. It depends on your actions. It depends on whether you were thinking of death or not. That, that's what it depends on. Yeah. So that's why in our culture, mashallah, alhamdulillah, in our civilization, we ease the patient who's dying and we give him a soft, uh, what do you call it, a talqeen, and prompting of the kalima. We sit be, beside him, we say, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah. But what's the doctor doing? He's giving him more morphine. So is that really, truly the way you want to administer yourself? <laughs> so that you need both. So you need somebody there who's reciting Surah Yasin, somebody there who's making dua, somebody there who's making dhikr, somebody there who's giving la ilaha illallah. Very softly, in a very gentle way, you're prodding the person so that he remembers la ilaha illallah at the time of death, because that is what's going to help him, help him in the next phase. Right? So if, if the only idea is to relieve the pain from the patient, then that's very secular. It might even be humanist. Who cares? But this, the sakratul maut, the pangs of death will come upon you with absolute certainty. How do you cater for that? So Islam gave us a solution. Uh, you, what is that? You follow the prophets also. You say, la ilaha illallah, you make the you make dua, you use surah yaseen and so on. Then obviously you'll have these punks come and say, it's a bit hard to read Surah Yasin. No, what the heck? So you want to give him more morphine? Is that a bit huh? so Don't knock 
these ayadas and say, oh, it is, it is casual. So no, they're very perceptive. And it is immense knowledge in that. that how do you want to receive the angels? How do you want the angels to receive you? As the Prophet said that if you're good, good angels will receive you. And if you're bad, God forbid, very, very brutal angels will taunt you. They'll be rough. Yeah. They won't be soft. They'll be brutal and they will taunt you. Why, you, why, why, the, why the heck are you coming here? We don't want you here. So, as Revelation reveals, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his majd, his karam at the beginning of the surah, of Quran and Majid, through his nobility, is helping human beings understand every phase of the human being's existence. Why? Because we created him. We know what's best for man. Man doesn't know what's best for him. And who knows how to do that? Uh, Muslims who read the Quran. Uh, so that's why if you're in a continuous state of vigor throughout the day, you think about death, you give charity, and you're good. You have amal saliha Alhamdulillah, you strengthen your iman. Then all of this will be, inshallah, very easy. You'll manage all of this. Why? Because you're already in sync. You're not in a cultural shock. You're not in ghafla, which the ayah says. You're in oblivion. If you live this way, in an oblivious way, where you have no connection with the other world, then all of a sudden the other world comes upon you, then obviously you're in shock. It's going to be very painful. Allah save us all and protect us all from Sakarat and Mot and from all the horrible things that might happen in the grave and on the Day of Judgment, inshallah. So this uh, is uh, talking about the phenomenon of sight and seeing and uh, perception so that Muslims understand that when they have a larger platform of knowledge, then their knowledge is much better than the non-Muslims. A Muslim, by definition, is far more intelligent than a non-Muslim simply because he believes in death, life after death. He believes on the day of, in the Day of Judgment. He believes in Jannah and Jahannam by definition. Your idea of your sense perception is a million times greater. Whereas the greatest philosopher in the world and the greatest scientist in the world who doesn't believe in the Akhirah is limited. Severely limited. So how can you go after people whose in intelligence is super, super restricted and you want to beat their drums and say, oh, we should be like that. Wow. Like what? Somebody who doesn't know anything beyond sense perception, beyond his physical abilities. That's not the road to Muslim success. That's the road to other human beings and their success in that. Alhamdulillah. So we, we, we take alhamdulillah, you know, honor from Allah's honor and we seek Allah's fadl because this is what he is doing. Here in this sequence of ayat, Allah subhanahu is not referring to another creation, that there's some, there's some woman else with you all at all times, Kharim. Yeah. So most Mufassirun say this Kharim here is another angel. 
Some people say, no, it's the Qareen that lives with you, the other devil that lives with you permanently. So you have angels with you and you have the devil with you. So you're never alone. <laughs> the idea that you're lonely is false. You're never alone. The angels are with you and the devil is with you. So this one is Qareen. This is now uh, what is in front of you, prepared, atid. This life now that is in front of you is ready. In front of me, this is all now ready and prepared. You're going to go into this life, this phase of life, and so on. Then there will be a public announcement on the Day of Judgment, either by these two angels or by another source of information, another informer. That you must now cast in uh, into Jahannam, every uh, every what you, ingrate kafir mm-hmm. who is a disbeliever, you know, uh, someone who is a rebel, anid, inad, and so on, someone who is a, a rebellious, uh, ungrateful, non-believer, they will be cast into Jahannam for permanent punishment, which is another discussion we've touched upon it before. You know. Who is this person who is kafar, always ungrateful for his life and never develops his physical senses and other senses of knowledge that Allah gave also? This one is the one who is permanently preventing people from doing good. He never allows anyone to do good. More than that, he prevents and stops people from doing good. Mu'atadin, someone who is very obstinate. Murib, and someone who is always casting doubt in people's minds as to the truth. So the role of the Nabi is to make sure you have certainty in knowledge. And the role of the Kafir is to make sure you have no certainty in knowledge. Which sounds like the educational system we have. Murib, always casting doubt. No, speculate, no, discuss, no, philosophize, no, analyze, no. Listen. And the role of the Rasul this is the haq. This is the truth. Two very different systems. So if you use your perception and your abilities to find the truth, the truth will come. But if you use the same facilities to cast doubt on the truth, the truth will never come. So now what happens is that on the Day of Judgment, this is going to, what's going to happen. That your paradigm of certainty, one, one is that you don't even believe in certainty anymore. That's out of the, you know, that ship has sailed. But if you are in touch with reality, then you want to make sure you hang on to reality. And so that's why here, your epistemology, that your sense perception, how, how, how you see the world and how you identify the world and how you see life, how you identify with life, is extremely important for this surah, which is a Makki surah, by the way, and is developing the mindset, the intelligence of the Sahaba. The Sahaba listening to all this, you think that they didn't know what this surah is saying? Sure, they did. <laughs> Unfortunately, some people assume the Sahaba didn't know anything, but they hear. reciting this surah with the Prophet, and if the Prophet is reciting this surah, then obviously there's a lot of transformation and transferring of knowledge, real knowledge that is done immediately and instantaneously because of the nur. 
So now people who are ungrateful, people who don't want people to do good deeds, and people who are just rebellious and stubborn, and people who cause doubt and force people to speculate. And that is why Allah knows the waswasa of man because he creates man. So Allah knows which type of doubt man now unfortunately is involved with and who is the insinuator, the devil, the shaitan, and so on. So the, the, the idea is that you must not believe anything is true and that is where the uh, unfortunate downfall of man began because the, the devil insinuated Adam. Maybe there's a higher reason for Allah saying to you that you should not approach the tree. Which is actually a good idea. It wasn't a good idea because it meant that you did something Allah didn't want you to do. So if your thought process leads you to an apparent yeah, disobedience, then that thought process is no good. It doesn't, doesn't help you. Anyway, the one who's always you know, making sure there is rabe, doubt and speculation uh, in your ideas, in your mind, question everything. You can question what happens in creation, but you cannot question the creator. That's the guardrail. Those are the parameters of thought. You can philosophize about everything that is creation. In fact, Allah says, think about it and see how it's created. And so on. But if you start questioning the creator, that's it. Then, then you're gone. Yes. Who is he? What is he? Etc. Then this person who is now, who has taken a God besides Allah, and then uh, throw him into very severe punishment, this punishment of uh, rebellion, the punishment of disobedience, the punishment of being ungrateful, and the punishment of treason, basically, that he lies there in front of you. And his signs are everywhere around you, and then yet you say, No, he doesn't exist. So that is seen as rebellion. And so, on. so the punishment, obviously, that, that's there. So that the one purpose of these ayat is to intimidate and frighten people so they don't commit these sins. And the other person is to inform us that these are realities. So now you have another uh, place of existence. Okay, yeah place called Jannah and you have a place called Jahannam. So they do exist. The Haqq, as we know in our Aqeelah, that they do exist. So that's obviously for the reader who's a Muslim, it prevents him from uh, going that way. And for the reader who's non-Muslim, it helps him hopefully understand that they should think seriously about what's happening here. And then this Qareen, this word Qareen here refers definitely to the devil. So the devil who's a Qareen lives within the human being. He will say on the day of judgment that, uh, you know, our Lord, uh, I have not misled him. I have not caused him to rebel. So the devil acknowledges Allah's rububiyyah. He was not a kafir in that sense. He's a kafir because he disobeyed. So the devil knows Allah exists. He's talking to him. And he acknowledges that Allah is a Rabb. But Allah's rububiyah on the devil is that he makes him do this. 
that's his nasib, that's his share, and there's nothing else we can say about that. He will disown everybody and say, I'm not the reason or the cause for these people to rebel and to transgress and sin. But it's him, himself, who was always in manifest error. He, were, he always made the wrong conclusion and he made the wrong choices. So he should not blame me and he should blame himself and so on. So this will be a dialogue that everybody will listen to and the devil will be there and stooges will be there and other people will be there. And this is a very, very apparent dialogue. Who tells you about this dialogue is where it's not recorded. It is recorded in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book called the Quran. Allah will say to all of them, arguing, debating, that don't argue in front of me. Don't debate like this. Why? Because this has been established. I already presented to you the warning. And that warning is that if you disobey me, you will be punished. That the statement and my final decision will never change here on the day of judgment, specifically. And I am not someone who is uh, at all unjust towards my servants. Allah is not at all unjust to any of his servants. He is always just to his servants and the justice will prevail because there will be documentation. The, the witnesses will be there, the documentation will be there, the proof will be there. So in Allah's court, the proof is inevitable. The proof is beyond any doubt, not just a reasonable, beyond any doubt. And that's why the judgment will be final and uh, ultimate. So this is how the Quran is now saying that the human beings need to know that there are other beings who also live with them, the other phases of existence beyond this phase of existence, and there are, you know, phenomena, and there are occasions and things that occur in those phases and realms of existence, but you don't have access to that knowledge. The only access you have is through the Nabi, sallallahu alaihi and the Nabi recites the Quran, listen, uh, acknowledge that you are limited in everything you do in this world. And if you are limited, then you should seek the fadl of the unlimited, of the eternal. So that's basically the message in Surah Qaf that we must understand. We need to expand our perception that we are not limited to the affairs of this world. They are even in this world. We don't know what's happening. And when we, uh, like the Sahaba, focused on the Akhirah, and that was their, mashallah, uh, purview, prerogative, priority, whatever. They would say, as I mentioned several times before, that uh, tell me of something that can lead me to Jannah. That was their usual question. In the culture of the Sahaba, they didn't ask any, any, you know, too many halal, haram questions, technical questions, Islamic finance, Islamic politics. They didn't ask too many mundane questions. They asked only about the akhirah. Throughout their culture, you will be hard pressed to find ten hadith where the Sahaba asked about this world. 
Their only focus was the other world because that's where they're going. So now we, we need a kind of mind shift, you know, a paradigm shift. <laughs> yeah. In our day and age, we need, we need to kind of review how we think about us and Islam. Oh, a great scholar is coming, mashallah, I would ask him about riba. Still sack is about money. You're still asking about money. And for God's sake, you're going to die one day. You won't have any money. Climb out of that cesspit. <laughs> have some respect for a scholar's knowledge. Maybe you should ask him, how do I love the process of more? Something like that. I'm sure he'll be able to answer you. <laughs> but no, tell me about brain death. Tell me about abortion. Tell me about riba. Change the focus. And you see that Allah's nur and follow will be with you. And these answers will come, inshallah. It's not that we don't answer the question. We have a whole Dar al-Iftah that deals with this 24-7, uh, these questions. So it's not that we don't answer the questions. We do. But you as an individual Muslim, your focus has to be, how do I gain salvation? If that's your concern, then you're a good Muslim. But if that's not your concern, then you may want to rethink how it is you want to be, inshallah. May Allah help us and give us tawfiq to do what pleases him the most. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala khairi khalqi Muhammad wa alayhi wa sallam. Ya Rabbil Alameen.